This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, one of America's foremost manufacturers of premium knives. Case Knives have been treasured items that have been passed down to my family for generations. So put down the phone, shut off the TV, and go out and get your hands dirty and build something. Keep your hands sharp with a case knife. Oh, you're listening to Shaun of the South, and that music here behind me is Lonesome Days. Lonesome Days, everybody. Lenore, Hutchinson, Kansas. My daughter is graduating this week. Let the angels sing. It's been a long, long, hard road. She's active in sports and academics. She's so active, it's insane. She listens to your show when it comes on on Saturday nights, and she takes a break from homework. Yes, she even does homework on Saturdays. And she listens to your show. She hopes to come see you live one day if you ever get out to the Great Plains. The truth is, I'd never heard of you. I didn't think you were anything special when I did hear you. 
first I thought you might have been a boy band or something. But now I understand you're not some weirdo, and I actually respect what you do. I thought you enjoy me writing you and telling you of how proud I am of my daughter. I might not tell her enough. She's going to Kansas State this year, and I'm the proudest mother alive. If you read this on your show, just say, your mother loves you, Jesse Lynn. Jesse Lynn, I hope you just got all that. Haskell J. Patterson, Opelika, Alabama. Sean, I love that thing you wrote about the Jefferson Country Store. It was nice. Went near that area a little while recently en route to a funeral in Laurel and then on to Columbus to try to find my grandparents' farm. 38 years have passed since I've been there and I never found it. I never found it. It's been gobbled up by the urban sprawl, I suspect. But the memories are still there. Was raised and still live in the city but constantly lust and think about green pastures and fields and stuff. And old country stores where post office stands are, minus the signage. I don't know the people you wrote about who run the Jefferson Country Store, but I know they're kind, and I know they tend to live where life is green and simple and loving and genuine. So glad your paths crossed. I feel like mine did as well. Take care, friend. Clark Millman, Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm a teacher, and I'm about to marry a teacher, and we have a kid with autism, or actually he's my son she's about to take on the full-time job of helping raise him. I can't believe my future wife is going to share this journey with us. My son is in love with her almost as much as I am, if not more than I am. I can't wait to start the rest of our lives together. Daylene Store, Worcester, Massachusetts. Hi, Sean. My husband is a country boy who misses Arkansas so bad he can taste it. It's not the same up here in Massachusetts. We have our rural parts, but it's not what he's used to. He still finds places to go fish, though, and he listens to his country music, and he has made it his own world. People know him wherever he goes. He, he has friends at the drive throughs He rides a dirty truck all over this area, and the reason I'm writing to you is because he found this show, your show, and he told me it reminded him of home somehow. And I know how bad he misses home, so I just wanted to tell him through you for me. God, repeat that back to me. <laughs> Tell him some news to you for me. Anyway, we're taking a trip this weekend to see his family in Arkansas, and I've saved up the news. We're going to listen to your show in the truck, and by the time we start listening, I will have just told him that I am pregnant, and I'm hoping that you can congratulate him for me on the air. His name is David. My Lord, David and Darlene, congratulations from everyone here. A wise man once said, you will know when you are an actual parent when it takes longer to get everyone in the car unbuckled than it does to run the actual errand. <laughs> Ryan Chelsea, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm trying to get in shape this year. I put on all sorts of weight when I got married, and I'm going to compete in my very first 10K this month. And I'm a little nervous because I, I never really lost any weight when I started my diet, even though I've been trying and eating right and I don't cheat. I didn't get any fatter, thank God, but I still look like just a run-of-the-mill, average, out-of-shape, middle-aged guy. I'm a little embarrassed to be doing the race in my running clothes because I'm going to look like a fat sausage running down the highway. But I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm going to do it because I worked hard to get here and I've never run a 10K before. Wish me luck. Dear Ryan, good luck from everybody here. Debbie Miller, Eugene, Oregon. Sean, I feel like I should warn you about ticks. 
your part of the world ticks are no laughing matter. You can get a blood disease, and it is not funny. <laughs> My husband is from Alabama, and he says, in your parts, there are ticks all over the place. And I just wanted to tell you that you look like a pretty hairy guy from the pictures I've seen of you, and ticks love hairy people. Anyway, this is just a public service announcement. Consider this your warning. God, dear Debbie, I just want to say thanks for scaring the holy chicken salad out of everybody here tonight, including me. Carson Klein, Salem, Alabama. Recently, my mom has become obsessed with flipping houses. It started with her grandmother's house, the homestead of the family property we live on, and now she has included her father's house, which is just right across the street. My cousin and his wife and their newborn baby live in my grandpa's house since he passed away two years ago, and I guess my mom just wanted to make it a little nicer for them. I can tell my mom reminisces on her childhood and spending time with her grandmother every time she is over there working on it. A couple weekends ago, I was helping her throw away some trash that had accumulated in the old home, and I started telling her about one of your stories where you talk about dog people and how your friend crawled under that house to save a hurt dog because you said that's the kind of things dog people do. My mom was a vet, and we are both very much dog people. She told me how when she was a girl, her grandmother's dog had puppies under the crawl space of this old house all the way in the far corner so that nobody could bother her. Mom spent hours crawling under there, bringing one puppy out at a time, showing it to her mother. And her mother would pet it and say, all right, honey, now, all right, honey, take it back to Mama. And my mom would crawl back under the house and take it back to its Mama. I just thought you'd like to hear about some old houses, some old childhood memories, and the beauty that newborn puppies can bring to a kid that is a dog person. My word, that was a beautiful story, Carson Klein. Thank you for sending it in. Lila Beth King, Bryan, Texas. I'm a 73-year-old widow, and until a couple months ago, I'd never heard of you. A friend shared your Facebook post, and I read it instantly, and I became your fan. My husband drowned while on a fishing trip six years ago. He would have loved you even more than I do, if that's possible. He had lots of southern country phrases, and he, too, had a great way with words. His name was Art. People called his unique phrases artisms. Anyway, I've lived in Texas all my life. I'm a country girl. I relate to everything you write about. Also, after my husband's death, I, too, have found that writing my life stories has been very healing for me. It's been very healing. Your friend, Lila Beth King, Bryant, Texas. Linda Horn, Silas, Alabama. We happened upon a barbecue restaurant you should put on your list. It's barbecue and blues or something similar. It's on Highway 17 near the four stop at Highway 84 in Silas, Alabama. It's a new place and the owner's name is Washington. I have no affiliation with them, but I enjoy your columns every day. And believe me, you would enjoy this food. We sure did. All my best. Miss Karen, Allen, Texas. My grandsons are pretty rambunctious, especially at bedtime. On a recent weeknight visit, I played one of your podcasts, and the results were good. They calmed down in their bunks, and they fell asleep after listening. A few weeks later, I played another one for them, and we were on the sofa, both cuddled up against their soft nana, which is me. I'm happy to report they fell asleep during your talk. Don't take any offense to that now. (laughs) It was one of those moments that I will forever cherish making memories, and you are a part of that. You're a part of that love, Nana Kay. Grace Adamson, 
Columbus, Georgia. Sean, I'm a fourth grade teacher, and for our last day of school, we're reading Where the Red Fern Grows. And one of the kids started talking about how his dad likes to go hunting with dogs. And it turned into a whole conversation between teachers and students about skinning coons and skinning squirrels and killing little small animals. Hey, have you ever had cooked squirrel before? If you haven't, it's really, really good because one of the children brought it in not very long after that. And I have to say, I could eat this way. I really, really could. Dear Grace, I do enjoy a little bit of smother fried squirrel. I do enjoy it, especially when you have to pick the buckshot out of the pieces while you eat it. That's letters from our listeners. We're going to have another tune for you here from Lonesome Days.
My father was a resident storyteller of our family. He was the storyteller and a half. Although I come from a long line of storytellers and horse thieves. Many of my family have been making up stories for, for as long as there has been alcohol. <laughs> alcohol motivated a whole lot of stories. I can, I can remember my father telling stories that were primarily motivated by Budweiser. Budweiser Corporation was a large source of inspiration for him. He could find all sorts of magic inside, inside Budweiser cans. Of course, he didn't just drink Budweiser. He drank whatever he brought home from the job site. His, his buddies would get together, and they would pool their money, and they would send somebody to the store to buy beer and place it in the work refrigerator, which sat in the construction trailer. So this, this refrigerator was full of all kinds of canned beer. These are the, the old days before beer had the same kinds of pop tabs now that, that we got. These are the days when, when beer cans had the pop tabs, which are now made illegal. That if, you, if you stepped on one of them pop tops, it'd slice your foot straight open. That's why you never, ever wore sandals around, around our house because there were pop tops everywhere. You always wore boots. That's, that's why. Because you didn't want to lose a foot. A man could lose a foot, get, get gangrene or, or some kind of infectious disease from a cut, from stepping on a pop top. My father would steal beer from this refrigerator only one or two at a time so that no, nobody would notice. And over time, he would build up his own collection. And once he had a friend come over to his house and he offered him a beer, and he said, Okay, I'll take a beer. And my father said, What kind do you want? He said, well, what kind you got? He said, I got every single kind there is. And they opened up the refrigerator, and the thing was chock full of every kind of exotic beer. There was Jack's beer, Dixie beer. There was even beer from, from the Colorado area. There was the Coors beer, beer from the Northwest, Rainier, and, and beer from, from old Milwaukee. He had every kind of beer there was. Schlitz. Schlitz, what a name. Boy. I've told many a joke in my day with that beer name as the punchline. <laughs> but this is a family show. Anyway, my father would tell stories while, while sipping from his sweaty can, but, but he had to reserve his sweaty cans when he led us Boy Scouts into the wilderness or the Little League baseball team. Because you can't drink beer around the Little League baseball team and, and live to tell about it because some of the boys on the baseball team, well, the hail from, from religious traditions. We had a few kids on our team who were from the Church of Christ. We had a few kids who were from the Church of God. And then we had kids who were, who were from the Southern Baptist tradition. And you know what they say, the, the best way to, to prevent a Baptist from drinking at all is to put another Baptist right alongside him. Father's assistant baseball coach, Mr. Zachary, he was a, a teetotal and foot washing Baptist and he did not believe in drinking. And so my father was forced to tell stories around a campfire completely alcohol free. This is a travesty. This is a travesty. Alcohol loosens the tongue a little bit and it makes, it makes you seem more funny than you actually are, even if nobody's laughing. You sit around that campfire, campfire which was lined with rocks. 
and there'd be a whole collection of boys just staring at him with their mouths open and occasionally these boys would emit smells from their hind parts which were strong enough to gag most breeds of goat. <laughs> boys who eat weenies and, and, and canned beans around a campfire, they, they make all sorts of interesting aromas. Aromas that cannot be named with, with words in the English language. They are, they are only adequately named when using phonetic sounds that trace back to the old Icelandic days and Nordic days. Guttural sounds like, those are Those are the kinds of sounds he would use to describe some of these smells we were making. We'd sit around the fire, we'd watch my father tell his stories. He always told the same sorts of ghost stories, and that's what all boys want to hear. They want to be scared so senseless that they have to make a little brick in their pants from fear and my father told good ghost stories some some of which were were dancing right on the line for the church of god and church of christ folks because these were these were borderlining on on murder mysteries not just ghost stories and church of christ and church of god folks they don't watch 60 minutes they don't watch His most famous ghost story was the one about the one-legged man. One-legged man. He always ended his ghost story the same way. Who, who, who has my leg? And then he would turn to some unsuspecting young boy, and he would say, You, you have my leg. Give me back my leg. And that boy's pants would be ruined forever. Those boys would be so scared after my father told himself a story like that. We'd get into the to the tent. There'd be five of us per tent. Five of us laying in, in, in a row like sardines in a can. And I can remember my buddy, my buddy Bradford. He had to stand up one night and he had to pee. But he didn't want to go outside the tent to pee because he was so afraid of that man who was looking for his leg and roaming the earth looking for his leg. And So Bradley open the flap of the tent to pee outside without actually stepping outside. The only problem is he didn't actually open the flap of the tent and he ended up, ended up making water all over the, the canvas. And that woke everybody up because the splatters were, were felt on your face. Oh, God. Some of those Icelandic and Nordic sounds are coming to mind. Ugh. Ugh. Yes, my father had a real gift, real talent. He encouraged me to tell stories, but you can't tell stories until you got a little age on you. You can't tell stories in a high-pitched voice. I did try, but all my stories just came out as, as, as kind of pathetic. I enrolled in the talent competition when I was a kid, and I tried to tell stories, but I had a problem, a problem talking in front of people. And I can see by the looks on your faces that you understand what I'm talking about. I got nervous. I got a little bit, I got a little bit terrified by audiences. And as, a, as a reflex, I would close my eyes to sing songs or tell stories. And this is bad stage presence. My third grade teacher, Miss Williams, would remind me of that. And so in the talent contest, in order to surpass this, it was the advice of my father that I use a, a puppet to tell my stories for me. It was good advice. It was good advice. I had a puppet that was in the shape of a squirrel. And so Mr. Squirrel told stories that, that were good stories. 
and, and the judgment of the audience, because you're always being judged by your audience. Yeah, you're judging me right now, and you're probably not even Southern Baptist. You're probably Episcopal or something. The judgment of the audience is always upon you. You can feel it. You can feel it in their eyes, and you can feel it in their mannerisms, and occasionally you'll see somebody who starts shifting from side to side because their, their hind parts are getting sore. That's code. That's code language to the speaker, to the, to the storyteller, that hurry this up because I'm getting tired. Sometimes you'll, you'll see people cough and lean forward to stretch the lower back muscles. You, you see all this when you tell stories in public, but... but, but when you're just the observer and your squirrel puppet is telling the stories, well, you're absolved of all guilt and, and all judgment. You can just stand back and watch that squirrel either soar or flop flat on his face. The squirrel told all sorts of stories. He told the story about the dog who went into town who was walking into a bar with his owner. And the, the owner of the, the dog looked at the man on the bar stool next to him and said, Hey, I bet you... I bet you five dollars my dog could talk. He said, five dollars. Give me a break. You're on. Fellow looks at his dog and he says, who's the greatest baseball player of all time? The dog says, roof, roof, roof. The man said, give me my five dollars back. Get, this is crazy, ridiculous. I kicked him out of the bar for, for, for making ridiculous bets. And he walked out of the bar and the dog looked up at his owner and said, Maybe I should have said Lou Gehrig. Oh, the squirrel could tell all sorts of good ones. He told the joke. He told the joke about the man who, who was on his deathbed. He was on his deathbed, and he was he was tight. He was a tight man who, who didn't like to spend any more money than he had to. And he was laying upstairs in his bed, and his family was around him, and he said, "Sister Julie, are you here?" She said, I'm here, I'm here. He said, Mama, are you here? She said, I'm here, I'm here, Daddy. He said, what about the boys, are they here? He said, we're all here, Daddy, we're all here. We're all upstairs with you. He said, well, if you're here, then why are the lights still on downstairs? Squirrel <laughs> could tell all kinds of jokes. He could tell all kinds of jokes and get away with it because he was, he was a puppet and he wasn't real. My father, it was a genius idea on his part. I did not win that talent show. In fact, I didn't even come close. Not even when I tried to make the squirrel drink a glass of water and I would talk. My father reminded me that ventriloquism works the other way. Usually the ventriloquist is the man who drinks the water and the squirrel talks. But I couldn't do that, so I just figured I'd make that puppet drink water. I went camping with a group of boys not very long ago. Not very long ago. A little league team. A friend of mine, he coaches on Little League. That's how you know you're getting old when you're, you're coaching Little League. Because coaching Little League really isn't coaching at all. I helped my buddy at a few practices. I stood at the plate and I hit ground balls the first, second, third shortstop at the, to, the, to the infield while my buddy was out working with the outfield. Outfielders on a Little League team, well, they're really just, they're really just for looks. You rarely get a ball hit out that far, and so what you find in most Little League games is boys with their gloves off, and they're using their gloves as a shade device to protect themselves from the hot southern sun. They're standing there, and they've got fingers and orifices of their bodies that are quite improper, quite improper. 
and the infield, now that's where the action is, but you still have a hard time keeping the attention of the Little League team. And when I coached for that day, hitting ground balls, I found myself saying people's names more often than I did anything. Uh, I, would, I would call out. There was one girl on the team. Her name was Lisa. I'd say, Lisa, 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 because she was, she was off looking at somebody who'd brought their puppy to practice. And I, I called the boy's name Adam. He was first base. I said, Adam, 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 until my voice was completely lost because he was way out in left field having a conversation with the left fielder. These boys went on a camp trip, and they invited me with them. They were kind enough to invite me with them. I guess the real reason I was with them was because somebody needed to carry the cooking stove and the tent, and those things aren't light. And I went with them. We walked into the woods. We sat on a log. It was an alcohol-free evening. It was the kind of evening that, that reminded me of a time long, long ago when a man I used to know who is deceased now used to sit on logs and tell stories. And the boys asked me to tell a story because, well, after all, even though I've long retired that squirrel puppet, somehow or another I've found my way to tell stories professionally for a living. To tell stories professionally is a, is a hard racket to get into because there's really, there's no money for certain, and so you, you find yourself after you're done telling stories before a room full of people like tonight, going and washing dishes at a local restaurant, and then after you wash the dishes, you can get a job as a security guard out front of Walmart. Well, it's, not a, it's not a racket that's going to make you rich, but it is incredibly rewarding. You learn how to, how to tell a story, I guess. I'm still waiting for that moment that I learn. They were a tough audience, these boys, but they knew that I told stories and they asked me to tell one, and so I reached way back into the recesses of my mind, way back, way back into those woods, those woods with my Little League team and my Boy Scouts and my father sitting on that log with his, his wave speaking that I can still hear in my mind right now. And I told a story about a one-legged ghost. A ghost who roams the earth looking for his leg. I told it, and I told it in such a way that, that I tested the limits of these, of these Church of God and Church of Christ people. These people who did not want to hear about heinous murders and crimes. I told it, I told it pushing the envelope. A good storyteller will push the envelope every Every now and then he'll come right up to the line and he'll back off. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to challenge you to, to hear something you don't want to hear. He just has to, to make you think he's about to say something he shouldn't say. Just like every word I've said here tonight. Oh, I told that story. I told it. I think I told it in a way that would make my father proud. I think I told it in a way that would make him smile if, if people go on to a, a new realm and they can see us leaning over the banister of heaven. If my father was, in fact, leaning over that railing, I think he was smiling at me. At least I hope he was. I told that story about the one-legged man. And those kids, they went to sleep in that tent. And you could tell they were scared because... <laughs> A little boy named Joseph got up and he had to ask his, his daddy to help him, help him find a tree to make water on because he was scared. Little boys like stories.
I was one such little boy. I was one such little boy. I grew up hearing stories. I guess that's what you get when you're the son of a storyteller. You ain't got no choice but to become one yourself. And well, every story needs an ending, and this story is no exception. So here's one. Who, who, who has my leg? You have my leg. Give me my leg. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a real pleasure. Hope you join us next week. That music here behind me is Lonesome Days. John Miller, Sam Parks, Todd Lilenthal, Jeremy Garrett, and my old college buddy Bradley Morse on the bass and vocals. To find anything more about what they do, you can visit lonesomedays.com. And while you're there, I hope you pick up a copy of their album, The Lonesome Days. I promise it'll be worth it. These guys are something else. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouth.com. And while you're there, hope you take the time to drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. Send me your messages, send me your mail, send me your birthday announcements, anything you like read over the air. And we will try our best to do it if we get a wild hair caught in an orifice of the body that I shall not mention in front of my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, do a good day's work and be somebody. Adios. I'm gonna